Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is our final recording from the Deck Mantle Festival conference back in August. A conversation between R.A. Stephen Titmus and the highly respected Detroit DJ and producer Marcellus Pittman. Pittman has been releasing distinctive deep house records since the late 90s, but his name began to widely resonate when he started working with Three Chairs, a kind of Detroit supergroup whose members include Rick Wilhite, Theo Parrish and Moody Man. These days, you can find Pittman pushing only the finest in Detroit dance music at clubs around the globe. And indeed, when we spoke with him, he just stepped off an eight-hour flight with no sleep. We wanted to thank him for being such a good sport in allowing Stephen to grill him on the ins and outs of his impressive career. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Marcellus Pittman is up next. Welcome to the second in the series of our discussions at Deck Mantle Conference. Got a really packed schedule for you today, but now we've got Mr. Marcellus Pittman, Detroit's finest. Greetings, greetings. How's everybody doing? So, how you doing, Marcellus? I know you had a tough flight over here. Oh man, I am sleepy. I'm running on empty fumes right now, so bear with me. So obviously we're at Deck Mantle Conference, but as the festival, this is not your first time here? No. You were here 2014? 2014, yes. That so was the most amazing time we've ever had. It, we did like eight hours, I think, something like that, but it was magnificent. And when you say we, that's free chairs. Free chairs, yes, sir. And for people who don't know, that's yourself, Rick Wilhite, Fiat Parish and Kenny Dixon Judah, yes, okay, sir. Moody Man. Yes, sir. So tell me about the set, because that's obviously some pretty serious, heavy-hitting DJs right there. How'd it go down? Magic, man, <laughs> you know? <laughs> straight up magic. Just straight up magic, you know, we just doing our thing, the Detroit thing, you know? In terms of meeting those guys, you knew those 
guys a long time before you actually joined Free Chairs. Mm -hmm. How did you meet them originally, though? I met Theo first. And I met him at this place called the Billiard Gallery back in 1994. And through Theo, I met... Kenny first, then Rick last. And so I think around 1998 is when they first came out with the uh, Three Chairs double pack. And I was there with them when they put the finishing touches on it. Like, I was always there with them, you know, as the, the fifth wheel, as you would say. But I like I would do parties with them and it was all four of us all night. And so they finally decide to ask me that I wanted to be in three chairs. And I was looking around, talking to me? I'm like, yeah, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since then, it's just been us four. But we decided not to change the name since, since it's like musical chairs when we play, you know. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I heard that actual sort of initial ask was pretty informal. What were you playing, Tekken around their house or something like that? Yes, yes. A full round of Tekken in Kenny's house. Like, that's all we would do. Listen to music, drink beers, smoke a little something, and play Tekken. So who's the best at Tekken in free chairs? Now, see, that's, that's hard, man. Kenny is really good with uh, the character called King. Like... King does these moves, like just ridiculous moves, and Kenny knows how to do all of them. Like, like you got you gotta get you gotta stay out of his way with King. Rick, he's good with mm, he's alright. <laughs> Theo, he's good with uh, Law and a couple other players. And I'm good with uh, with my boy Byron. Man, I haven't played it in so long. You seem to recall the characters very well, though. Yeah, so you must have yeah, played some oh, serious yeah, time on that game. Oh, it was serious business, man. Oh, man. Well, we can't talk about Tekken the whole day. Right. I know <laughs> most of the crowd would be up for this. Um, but going back to free chairs, you know, you mentioned the musical chair element. And one thing that I always find interesting about those records, it's not always even clear who's made what in the group from the records. Can you maybe tell me about what instance does it become, okay, we're going to work in this way, me and Kenny or me and Theo? Is it just, you just don't even put any thought into that? No, nah, we don't We don't think about it. But the last Three Chairs album, the Three Chairs theme was all four of us. And this was before uh, the 9-11 happened. This was like days before the 9-11 happened. Well, well, I suppose really the ethos of it is quite interesting that, you know, it's just four guys in the group, but you don't always know who's done what. You know, that's not the way usually a lot of groups work. You mm. know, people like to shout about, you know, I've done this. Oh, no, it, it works like that, but that it, it escapes me because I'm jet lagging right now. So I'm scatterbrains. Well, maybe another flip on it is, yeah. um, you know, you may work with Theo and Omar S on a particular record, and, you know, that's a TOM record, mm -hmm. or it might be a rotating assembly record. You know, what point when you and Theo may make a record together, it's like, okay, this is definitely Free Chairs. You know, what makes a Free Chairs record a Free Chairs record? It's when we decide to do an album or a 12-inch, basically. It's, it's real simple. It's not like 
we like I, I get together with Theo and like okay yeah we're gonna put that on three ch- nah no because him and I work together a lot like we have unreleased stuff that like we don't like and we'll never you know there's actually a TOM album that never saw the light of day so and most of the songs we don't like is that stuff you've even tried playing out or are you just, just straight up not happy with that with that material? Well, the reason why we don't like it is because most of the songs Omar wasn't featured on. It was just mostly me and Theo. And then maybe like three or four songs with Omar. But it's mostly Theo and I. Mm, I mean, some of them are good, but we just don't... We need to have all three of us, you know, in the collaboration, so we decided not to put it out. And um, one thing, just generally, it seems like Detroit, as a music scene, is very tight. You know, it seems like there's a lot of unity within <laughs> that scene. <laughs> is, that, is that wrong from the outside? Yeah, that's very wrong. Okay. As far as the, the techno, it's real clickish. Okay. Sometimes, you know, especially with the techno guys. The techno guys don't really talk to the house guys and vice versa. But the hip-hop guys are coming to both our functions, you know. Like, for instance, like Jay Dilla back in the day used to come to the house functions, you know. And Eminem, everybody used to come to, you know, the house functions. But, you know, the house people going to techno, you'll find certain people like me, like, I like all kinds of music. Well, maybe that's just you then, because you seem to get along with everyone pretty well. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just me. Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, though, Detroit as a whole, obviously, I'm a European, but Detroit music's had such a humongous impact on, you know, our culture, you know, whether it's Motown, you know, Jay mm. Dilla, techno, you know, is there something specific about the city that makes these amazing, you know, completely original musicians, do you think? It's the hard work, the blue collar mentality, and the Great Lakes, it's the, the Rust Belt. Like Motown, you know, just hard-working musicians, dirt poor, you know. Yeah, man. It's just hard work, man. And is that, you know, something that, you know, every Detroit person's raised with that, you know, I guess from their family, everyone around them's working hard, you know, you you feel like, you know, that's the way you've got to, you've got to approach music and your art? I don't know about other families, but my family, they worked hard. My My mother and father were musicians. My mother played the piano. My father played the bass, and they both singers. My father's father, he played the drums and keys as well. And just a whole bunch of family members that were musicians, so I naturally picked that up. And what made me wanted to want to do it was the radio, because the radio back then was just A1. You know, you had Mojo, The Wizard, of course. Everybody mentions them, but they don't mention uh, Dwayne in the mix, Bradley. And there's this jazz station where it's now defunct, but um, my favorite DJ, her name was Rosetta Hines. And, like, she would play these tunes called Mystery Tunes. And a lot of it would be Larry Heard and his group called Kiss the Sky. But she would play that stuff, and it's just this mystery O tune, mystery A, mystery B, 
mystery C. You're like, man, what? You know, what is this? You know, but to me doing digging, you know, I finally found out. Oh, that's Larry Heard. No wonder. You know, so yeah, man, it's, it's radio, man, radio and, and TV. Yeah, and I've read that. You know, Detroit, it's got a particularly, uh, certainly back then, had a very particular style of radio broadcast that wasn't the same in other American cities where they sort of were more likely to mix, you know, rock music with urban music. They didn't have the same formats. Right. Um, is that something that impacted you, your style of DJing? And Oh, man, yes, 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 particularly Mojo. Like, who is allowed to play 17 minutes of just Star Wars? And he'll just talk over it and just talk. And just like, wow, this dude is amazing. And 17 minutes. And then he'll play, let's say, uh, Knee Deep, Parliament Funkadelic, from start to finish. Like, wow. You're allowed to do that on a radio? You know, and wow, that, that you know, that was a big influence on me because... If you notice, I let songs stretch out as well. I like, you know, let the song breathe. You know, I like I like to get to what I call the orgasm. Let the song get into that orgasm part. You know, don't take it out two or three minutes into it. And then once you get to the orgasm, you take it out, you're like, oh, no. Like now, you know, like Mojo uh, would play... Um, Princess, I want to be your lover. And the good part is that the instrumental part towards the end, now that they play it on the radio, that's the part they take off. And it's like, oh, I knew they was going to do it. We need Mojo back. You know, so. And I don't think perhaps everyone in the audience would know who Mojo is. Like, it's probably worth explaining, you know, what his whole feel was it's really interesting you know he was this kind of shadowy figure you know people didn't necessarily know who he was and he had this amazing voice yes amazing voice if he was in here today i will I, we don't know what he looks like all he know is he's a short black guy and a voice that's it but mojo was highly influential in detroit radio and for all electronic artists and DJs, you know, he he broke a lot of tunes back in the 70s and 80s, as well as the Weirds of Butt Mojo. Two totally different entities. Like, Mojo was everywhere. You could not name a genre that he did not play. And a lot of us loved it. And... I wish he was on to this day, but it is what it is. So when did you start DJing yourself after listening to the radio, you know, and obviously getting inspired by that? Well, I used to collect records before I got my first pair of turntables in 1992. You wouldn't believe how far I walked to get my turntable. And there, there wasn't Technique 1200, it was Gemini BD-10 belt-driven like, these things are so light. It's the cheapest pair. I had them, though. I was determined to get my turntables. In 1992, my mother helped me get them, and my cousin, Sean Pittman, rest in peace, they helped me get my first pair of turntables. And when I got them, my cousin, Sean Pittman, bless him, but 
He was like, hey, cuz, um, he brought her turntables. I was like, oh, I knew this was coming. You helped me pay for the turntables, and then you want to borrow them. And I'm like, oh, I see what this is. So, but used to let him borrow the turntables and stuff. And we used to practice back and forth. Like, um, back then there was, um, I don't know if you know booty music. They used to call it booty music. We used to do that, man. That Man, that was fun, spinning that stuff. Fast pace. You know, two live crew and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two live crew, uh, MCADE and all of that stuff. We we used to play that stuff, you know, like plus eight. You have to to play it fast. What did your mum think of that music? Because it's quite rude. You know what's funny? When I was living with her and I would make my tracks in the basement, you know, she listening... But I would play, uh, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Glenn Underground, but I would play his music. She'd be, what is that? I like that. And I, this is Glenn Underground. I'll, next week, I'll play a different Glenn Underground. Oh, I like that. Who is it? I'm like, my, why do you like his stuff more than mine? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but she was glad to see that, and, and, and my father as well, you know, so... But I, I kind of pressured my dad to play some bass on my uh, tracks, but that remains to be seen. So, but yeah, they, she she's proud. So you and your cousin, he's stealing your turntables, you're learning how to yeah. DJ together. When did you first get to a point where you're playing music out for other people? St. Andrew's Hall. St. Andrew's Hall would be the equivalent to Paradiso. Like when I first walked into Paradiso, like, actually, my very first international gig was here in Amsterdam at Paradiso in 1998. But there's this place in Detroit called St. Andrew's Hall. It looks exactly like Paradiso. And that was my first gig. Um, there, there was three floors. They call it Three Floors of Fun. The first floor was alternative music. Second floor, hip-hop, you know, the... Black Moon, Tribe Called Quest. Third floor was Mike Huckabee and DJ Billy Bob. So you you already know what that is. So, but I used to play the the hip hop floor and the top floor the with Mike um, and uh, Billy Bob, and that was 1995. What was the vibe like in that club? Was that a popular spot? Yes. Oh yeah. Three floors of fun. You get in with the free passes, man. Man, the the 90s was really fun as far as partying because it was just free-spirited, you know, young kids, you know what I mean, ravers, the rave scene, man, you know, and everybody danced. Nobody stared at the DJ. It was just, it, it was just dancing towards the speaker, you know. Now it's dance towards the DJ. Like, I don't know how that concept came about, but teach his own. <laughs> you know, so. So at Three Floors of Fun, you're on two of the floors. Were you mixing um, house and hip hop at that time, or would you kind of separate the two? Separate the two. So yeah. when did that become a thing where you would like mix between different styles um, a bit more? When I stopped giving a fuck. <laughs> I stopped caring. I I stopped. You know, music is music to me. I, I you know, 
like I make hip hop. I make I make all kinds of music. So if I make it, why not play it? You know. So that's when I stopped caring about. Okay, I'm just gonna play hip hop all night. And I'm like, no man, just play some music, man. And a part of that was hanging around with three chairs. You know, uh, they they were like minded. We all like minded individuals. So. Yeah. Well, I heard one of the first times you met Theo, you went record shopping together, and he saw you going to all the different areas of the shop, and he was like, "Well, what's the deal no, with this well, kid?" Actually, he used to work at this place called Melodies and Memories. Our friend uh, Howard Thomas, DJ Fusion, is what he called us. Uh, but me and Howard would go in, and we would just search, just just all around the store. Like these dudes, yeah. So we became tight after that, you know. That, like I said, I, like I met him at the billiard first, and then I didn't know he worked at Melody's. So I'm like, oh man, what's up, man? And we just started going everywhere, man. Just everywhere in the rock section, country, everywhere. You know, just searching for stuff, you know. And it's just cool. We just it's cool after that, man. And um, obviously, Theo is slightly older than you. Did he give you a few tips back then on like digging for records and kind of searching for stuff, or did you have that down already? Yeah, I mean, well, he well not really tips, but he would just give us records like, "Man, you need this, you need yeah. that, you need that." You know, he's like, "Okay, sweet," you know. Him and I would think alike when it comes to music. Like, I'm like, "Yo, yeah, you're gonna like that," and we do that to each other. So, yeah. And when did the relationship change to you making tracks together? I guess Night of the Sagittarius is one of the your first collaborations with Theo. How did it go from, hey, check this record out, to, hey, why don't we make, we make a track together? Oh, you're making me dig deep, man. Okay, I think it's when Theo got into an accident. And I went to his house, see if he was okay. You know, he was cool, usual wild Theo. And saw that he had the SP12. It's like, oh man, so with that, man, I'm touching. He's like, hey man, I got something on there, man. I was like, man, you need you need to let me make a track, man. It's like, man, maybe next time, you know, when I when I'm done with this. So I'm bugging him next week. Hey man, what's up? With, what's up with the SP12, man? Let's make some tracks. So we we finally make some tracks and. Night of the Sagittarius was one of them. So, and a thing I really love about that track, it's got like a super loose feel to it. Almost feels like there's almost like happy accidents in that mm. track. Yeah, would that you be know right? It's funny. Just wow, it's funny you said that. Before it was called Night Sagittarius, it was called Happy Accident. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, that's wow. I don't know why we called it night to the session. Maybe it was because of me. And it was it was some weird stuff going on in the studio. Like, like I was trying to make some hip-hop stuff, some sneak some hip-hop in. And Theo, it was like this pool, this pool type of thing. And we made a mistake and, and switched one of the MIDI plugs. And the sweet beat came on. We was like, woo. 
It's like, dude, record that. <laughs> record it. And we did, and we lost it. So, <laughs> so we had to make some more stuff. Like, we, we made tons of stuff that would never see the light of day. You know, because you're like, eh, that was all right. It's okay. That one's sweet. Nah, I don't like that one. You know, but, man, we, we got a lot of stuff. So... And is that something partly to do, by the way, you know, you're using drum machines and things like that and recording stuff on on the fly, you know, that obviously leads to creating more volumes of stuff that you're mm. less able to edit and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Editing, I'm not really good at editing. Like, Theo's a better editor than I am. But, man, what was the question? My brains are scattered. I, I think, I think the, the original question was, you know, did Night of the Sagittarius come out in a way you didn't expect it to? But I think you answered that. Yeah, okay. So we're all, so we're all good. Okay. Yeah, perhaps another uh, track that I'd really like to talk about that I'm a massive fan of is There's Somebody Out There. That was another well, happy accident, if you will. I was making a hip-hop beat, and I didn't like it. And I had that certain element, that element the, the acid sounding, the bass. And that was going in the hip-hop track, and I muted everything except that part. And I was like, wait a minute, let me try to work something out with that. And it worked out with the slow, slow, I was like, oh, man, wow, let me, let me do something with that, you know, and, and it worked. I didn't think people was going to feel it. But it's Three Chairs, 2004. 2006 in Chicago Smart Bar Very first time playing that track When the bass part came in I never heard a roar like that From a crowd ever Not, I mean, ever To this day, man Like, they were screaming so loud You can feel it in your chest And like, Theo and the homie Jamie 326 Like, man, what the hell is that? It was like, I was smiling like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, a fool, get, you got to give me that, give me that, give me that track. It was like, yeah. So it was like, this is what I'm coming out with on my next EP. And that hence the other side, Chicago Nights. So, and that's the old to Chicago for the uh, beat tracks they used to make back in the day, like with Virgo and Vince Lawrence and all of those guys, yeah. Amazing. And then uh, Jamie also did the edit as well, I yeah. suppose. And, yeah. and Theo put it out as well uh, as part of your album. So right. I guess that was ringing in their mind, that reaction when they right, right. reached for that. Yeah. An interesting thing to me about a record like that and a couple of other your tracks, like something like The Mad Underdog, they've almost got like sort of a scary sort of horror <laughs> kind of vibe to them. Yep. That's yeah. because me and my brothers were horror fans. We loved horror flicks. I used to love the music on there like cheesy scary movies into the this, the most scariest ones like the howling like the howling scared the shit out of me when i was younger like we would look at movies like that and we're like well we staying up tonight you know because <laughs> we were like scared out of our minds but yeah man we were little kids man we we looked at horror that, that was our thing like our mom and dad like, yeah, we're going to take you to see Star Wars. Like, no, we want to see Friday the 13th. 
Like, what is wrong with these little boys? <laughs> and, you know, and just the music, man. The music was amazing to me. Like, John Carpenter's stuff. It's, oh, ridiculous. What's your favorite horror movie soundtrack then? Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. What What is it about it that makes it the one? Just the movie intro. Man, I love it. I love it, man. Give me chills sometimes when I hear it, you know. Another one is, wow, I would say Friday the 13th, but I liked uh, Mike Myers more. Creep Show, Creep Show 1. The music in that was real good. It was kind of cheesy, like, vignette type of movie. But the music in there was sweet, man. So. I just want to quickly talk about your DJing. You know, we talked already that you play a lot of different styles. And, um, you know, saying that is one thing, but doing it is a very different thing. You yeah. know, do you have particular techniques that can, say, get you from a Theo Parrish record to a Talking Heads record in a few tracks, you know? Do you have a way of going about that? Do you particularly try and do it, or do you just jam the next one in? Uh, it goes both ways. Sometimes I, I just let the music play out, <laughs> then go into another one. Like I, now, I'm bored of just that's so boring. Just mix, just to mix, and then go one song to the next one, then mix into the one song. I'm getting bored, man. So sometimes just let it go out. Like, I do weird stuff, just slamming in, you know what I mean? Or just, like I said, let the let the song play out and then just go into the next one. Just all type of things, man, doing doubles and stuff, you know. Like I used to back when I was a teenager. Like, just all kinds of things, but just, like, the straight mixing now is, I'm really bored. Um, one thing Charisma was saying to me the other day is... Um that he always tries to find a, like a logical link to the next song, whether it's, you know, a sample in one record speaks to another or, you know, there's sort of like a musical story going on. Right, Do you right. su subscribe to that kind of idea? Yes, I love it. That's why Detroit loves charisma. I mean, they love him. Like, every time he comes, is a sold-out show because of his eclectic style of playing, you know. And I'm sort of the same way when it comes to that, but just slightly different yeah. you know. he's also pretty amazing on a cdj as well yes well he is yeah i have no clue what to do i just push play <laughs> on the cd I'm, I'm more of a record player i mean no offense to any of those guys that play it that's what they do i don't have a problem with people who play laptop and stuff like me personally i just like to play wax you know, like some of my friends, you know, oh, man, you can't play no laptop. I'm like, let them do what, they, do what they do, you know what I mean? You know, that's that's their thing, you know. But me, Marcellus Pittman, likes to play vinyl. That's just me. And I recently just got into the USB stick because of some incident that happened to me earlier this year. Air Canada, and let me say, do not... I repeat, do not go with Air Canada. Don't do not ride with Air Canada ever. On my way to a party 
in London, which was actually Theo and I we were supposed to play. But there was other, I had other two gigs in the UK, which was Leeds and um, I think Wales or something. But on my way there, they lost my records. So I had no music. I had no music. And I'm freaking out like, oh, my God. And so my friends, Jamie326, Spectre, and Zarnell, Theo, and my other homie, John C., hooked me up with some music and sent it to me via WeTransfer. And I had to get a USB stick. I was like, oh, man. USB stick? <laughs> so, you know, I, I load the music on the USB stick. I have no idea where the music is. I didn't know you can, what do you call it? Um, like put it into folders yeah, and use record yeah, box yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I, I had no idea, none of that stuff. So I'm playing with the USB stick. You know, playing a song, and I turn around, I'm like, oh, dang, I no records. <laughs> <laughs> and I just keep doing that. I'm like, oh, man, I keep forgetting I don't have no records. Do you ever have problems with vinyl playing it in clubs? Because sometimes t turntables oh, aren't yes. set up right. Yes, yes. You go to certain clubs, and just, like, the turntables are, like, full of caked-up dust. Like, you... It's like they don't care that the people put, you know, the, the beer bottles and stuff on on the turntables. They don't care. The clubs, the, you know, they they don't care about sound. All they care about is the that bar. And, you know, I think Nikki Sayano said it the best. The only reason you have a club is because of the music, not because of the bar. If you have a club because of the bar, then you, what's the reason for a club? You might as well just own a bar without a DJ booth, you know what I mean? You can make a lot more money that way as well. Well, you can, but the club where you hire a DJ or international DJ is because you want people to hear, I mean, good sound. Most clubs don't have good sound nowadays, and that's a fact. You know, even clubs in Detroit, every, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, it's, a, it's, it's not just, it's not just overseas, it's everywhere. Um, so. Just generally, how does it compare playing a gig in Detroit today compared to Europe? <laughs> no comparison. <laughs> it's, it's much better over here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love, the, I'm an East Sider till I die. But it's it's much better over here. Uh, how so? It's just it's just not really the, the kind of scene or the momentum or yeah, the momentum. People here are more. More into yeah, it's y'all spoiled over here, man. <laughs> Detroit right now is, is coming back right now, so there's a lot of clubs and stuff coming out. Like I, I did a party last Sunday, and at this place called Motor City Wine, and man, that was the most fun I've had in a long time. Like people danced, like I've, I haven't seen that in a long time. And like I said, they cared about the sound. You know, I was like, wow, this is dopeness, you know. 
But over here is it's good sound most of the time, you know. But yeah, here Europe in general is, is way better. Nice. Well, I think that's a very nice positive note to end this on, ladies and gentlemen. Marcellus Pittman. Thank y'all.